You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. When it comes to true crime, there seem to be varying degrees of how a case will hit you as you do research and dive deeply into a case. For some people, missing person cases hit the hardest because there is just nothing to go on, and there are just no answers to the plethora of questions that come up as you unpack the life story of someone who simply seems to have disappeared. For me, the cases that hit the hardest are the cases where everything just appears, at least on the surface, to come from absolutely nowhere. This week, we're going to look at a case that hit me harder than nearly any case that I have ever researched before, because it seems to include so many elements that just continue to make the case worse and worse. We have the murder of an entire family, including three children, two very young and one unborn. We have a man who in this day and age is caught on many videos being seemingly calmer, cooler, and more collected than anyone should be after doing the horrendous things that he had done. We have a motive that should never be a motive, a desire to leave one person and be with someone else. Sadly, this is the world that we live in. Infidelity and the mind of a monster can lead to the deaths of four innocent people just because that monster wants that family out of the way. Hello, my name is Lance, and welcome to episode 79 of Gone But Never Forgotten, Familicide, The Chris Watts Murders. Christopher Lee Watts and Shannon Catherine Watts were a couple who met in North Carolina. Chris was from Spring Lake, North Carolina, and Shannon was from Aberdeen, North Carolina. The two would meet in 2010 and would be married on November 3rd of 2012 in Charlotte, North Carolina. Chris and Shannon would both eventually move together from North Carolina to Colorado in search of the perfect life. They both loved Colorado. They loved the atmosphere, and Chris was able to find a great job there working for Anadarko Petroleum. The move, however, was a sticking point between Chris's parents and Shannon. As we will talk about a few times, there were some issues there that came up at various points in their relationship. One of those times was at the wedding for Chris and Shannon, as Chris's parents did not attend the wedding. 
It has been said that Chris's parents did not particularly like Shannon, and they felt that she was controlling and manipulative, and that she had taken Chris and their grandchildren across the United States and away from them. Shannon's parents, on the other hand, really did love Chris. Shannon had been previously married, but her family genuinely believed that Chris was the man that she had been searching for for her entire life. They thought that they were a match made in heaven. Chris and Shannon lived in a five-bedroom home located at 2825 Saratoga Trail in Frederick, Colorado. They had bought the home in 2013, and they lived there with their two daughters, Bella Marie Watts, who was born on December 17th of 2013, and Celeste Catherine Watts, also known as Cece, who was born on July 17th of 2015. Shannon worked from home so that she could be with their two girls. She worked as an employee for Level, which is a multi-level marketing company, and she sold the product Thrive, which is a nutritional system. On June 11th of 2018, the couple would find out that they were expecting again. Shannon took a pregnancy test and then surprised Chris with a t-shirt that said, Oops, we did it again, to let him know that they were again expecting an addition to their family. To most onlookers, everything in the family appeared to be perfect. Shannon was one of those people who we all know who love to take pictures and videos of everything. And for all intents and purposes, it appeared that the love that Chris, Shannon, and the girls had was abundant and infectious. However, as would eventually come out as a part of investigations later, things started to go a little bit amiss inside of the relationship. It is believed with the benefit of hindsight that a major reason for what for that was because there was more going on inside of Chris's life than just a new pregnancy for he and his wife. Chris had started to have an affair, something that as we go further with this story, he would adamantly deny, seemingly at every chance possible. Chris would meet Nicole Kessinger, a woman that worked also at Anadarko Petroleum. She worked in the environmental department, and she would often come into contact with the operators that worked with the company, of which Chris was one. The two would start talking and would realize that they had a lot in common. All around the same time, things seemed to fall into place for Chris and his wandering eyes. Shannon and the girls would make plans to go on a trip to North Carolina to visit both sets of grandparents, and Chris was unable to get that amount of time off work. The trip for Shannon and the girls would be about four weeks, and for Chris, the plan was for him to head down for the last week or so of the trip and join up and fly home with his family. While Shannon and the girls were visiting Chris's parents, a massive fight would break out between her and them. She was upset because Chris's mom had purchased ice cream that one of their daughters was allergic to. This was a big deal to Shannon, and apparently not as big of a deal to Chris's mom, and things evidently got a little heated, 
and in the end, either Shannon left the house with the kids, or Chris's mom kicked the family out because of the tension. Either way, Shannon would text Chris and tell him to intervene and step in for her and for his family. She was well aware that his family did not like her, and it seemed that there was a lot of underlying resentment there. The resentment from all sides would progress and stick enough that Chris's parents would not even attend a birthday party that was held in North Carolina for one of their granddaughters, even though they were invited. Following in the footsteps of not attending the wedding. While Shannon was in North Carolina, she started to get bothered by the fact that Chris was not texting or video calling her, or especially the girls, and she felt that it may be the sign of something worse. She wondered if perhaps this was a fallout of the arguments between her and his parents, but she also wondered if there was more to it than that. She noticed a marked difference in Chris while the family was away, and she even told her friend at home that she felt that way. It turns out that Shannon was right. While she was away visiting family, Chris was starting up an entirely new life. Things were starting to progress between himself and Nicole to the point that they were spending four or five days a week together and they started getting physical in early July as well. So, it would appear that the reason that Chris was not in touch as much as he used to be was because he had found a new shiny toy, and he was busy living an entirely separate life, just like that. Chris would tell Nicole that he was married, and that he did have two children. However, he would also tell her that the divorce from Shannon was nearing completion, and that the two were separated. One could see how that story would work in the short term with his family across the country, but one has to wonder what he thought he was going to do long term. Chris would have Nicole over to his family's home for the first time on July 4th. They would go on a date to the Shelby American Collection Car Museum on July 14th, and they would spend a night together at Great Sand Dunes National Park on July 28th. Chris would then fly out to North Carolina and join his family on July 31st. For the week that the entire family was in North Carolina, Shannon would text her friend and tell her that Chris was not being affectionate with her at all. She said that the only time that he had kissed her was when he got off the plane and that even though she had made attempts, the two were not having sex. He kept rejecting her. That would continue for the week of their trip and then the family would return home together. Shannon would tell a friend that Chris and her had a great chat and that things seemed to be getting better. All of that was leading up to a trip that Shannon was taking for work. She was headed to Arizona for a conference with her best friend. Before she left, she left Chris a love letter on the kitchen counter that laid out how much she loved him and how she would fight for their marriage no matter what it took. Shannon was going to be in Arizona for the weekend, and Chris was to look after their daughters. During the trip, Shannon would text multiple times to Chris 
to tell him that she loved him and to thank him for looking after the girls while she was gone away for work. Chris, however, was again taking advantage of the time that his wife was away. On August 11th, Chris would hire a babysitter for the girls, and he would say that he was going out to a baseball game with friends from work. However, he was going out to a bar in town with Nicole. Shannon would see the statement with the bill from the restaurant and question Chris. He would say that he simply went out for dinner there, but Shannon pressed on because the bill was for $70, and she said that what Chris was saying and the price that he paid did not match up. Shannon also knew, because of the camera at home, that Chris did not get home until after 10.30 p.m., which she also knew was very late for getting home from dinner. It was becoming clear to Shannon that even though she didn't know what was going on, something certainly was going on. On Monday, August 13th, Shannon would be dropped off by her best friend Nicole Atkinson at home at 1.48 a.m. after their flight home from Arizona. Around 5.15 a.m., Chris claims that he left for work for the day. He said that he and Shannon had had a passionate conversation about their marriage and their future, and he went on his way. Throughout the day, Atkinson would try texting and calling Shannon to see how she was doing, but she was not receiving any responses whatsoever. She then would get into a panic when she found out that Shannon had not attended her prenatal appointment. She finally would go to the house, and she would not get an answer at the door. She arrived at the home around 12.10 p.m., and then she would call the Frederick Police Department and ask for a welfare check. Around 1.40 p.m., a police officer would show up at the house to attempt to do a welfare check. Chris would show up at the home and give permission for the officer to enter the home and try to confirm what was going on. They would find Shannon's purse, Shannon's medications for her lupus, her keys, and her medicine for the girls, and they also noted that her car was still parked in the garage. Immediately, the community and investigators would spring into action. The media picked up the story of the mom and two daughters who had disappeared. Investigators would canvass the neighborhood with photos and looking for help, and a few neighbors would come forward with bits and pieces of information. One neighbor said that he had CCTV on his property that could pick up anything that happened in front of the Watts' home. He said that the camera would only record when it sensed movement. Chris, an officer, and the neighbor would watch the footage, and the only movement that it sensed in front of the Watts' home was when Chris had backed his truck up to the house. What happened after that was not captured on camera, but... Chris said that he was packing his tools into his truck because there had been thefts in the area and he did not want to keep his tools inside of the truck overnight. The neighbor would tell police that he thought that Chris was acting out of character. He was talking more, he was shifting around a lot, and just seemed to be different than he had ever seen him be before. At this point, police seemed to believe that this was just because of what Chris was going through. 
They said that you could never determine how someone would act when in the situation that Chris was in with his family gone like this. Chris would be front and center the next day. He was pleading for the return of his family on the local news. He said, quote, Shannon, Bella, Celeste, if you are out there, just come back. Like, if somebody has her, just please bring her back. I need to see everybody. I need to see everybody again. This house is not complete without anybody here. Please bring them back. Unquote. Chris would tell investigators that he was worried that Shannon had taken the kids away because of the conversation that they had in the morning before he left for work. He was worried that all of this was his fault, and he just hoped that they would return home or at least get in touch with him. He couldn't make sense of the fact that there was no disturbance at the house or any sign of a struggle. Things started to shift a little in the investigation, though, as police looked into the ins and outs of everything. One of the first things that investigators seemed to latch onto with Chris was the fact that he had lost a lot of weight and cleaned himself up recently. They would ask him if perhaps there was another woman in his life, and if he was having an affair, because that was usually a byproduct of a married man changing his looks so drastically. Chris would deny that he was having an affair. On August 15th, the FBI started to get involved in the case and the search for the three missing people, and Chris would also agree to a polygraph test, seemingly to help clear his name. During the administration of the test, the tester would tell Chris to calm down and regulate his breathing, as he appeared to be incredibly stressed out. The end result of that test was that Chris failed the polygraph test. Investigators would then confront Chris with that fact and tell him that it was time to start coming clean because it was time to focus on Shannon and their two young daughters. Chris at first continued to deny that he had done anything and he said that he was simply stressed out because of everything that he was going through. After being pressed further, Chris would express that he wanted to speak with his father. Investigators asked Chris if his father flew out to Colorado if he would talk to his dad and start telling the truth. They told him that the fact that he even took the test, even though he knew he was going to fail it, showed them that he wanted to tell the truth and get something off of his chest. In the end, his father would come, and Chris would confess to his father and later to investigators that he had killed Shannon. He said that the two had a discussion about divorce, selling the house, and more, and that Shannon had smothered the two girls, killing them, and that he had reacted by killing her in a fit of rage. Investigators would then start asking Chris where the bodies were. Chris said that he had taken all three bodies to his work site because he was scared and he didn't know what to do. He said that he had buried Shannon in a grave and that the girls were inside of oil tanks that were at the work site. What investigators would also let Chris know on this day was that they were aware of the affair that Chris was having with Nicole. Nicole had called police and come in of her own free volition, 
and said that Chris had not even told her that his family was missing. She had only found out by watching the news just like everyone else that was following the story. Nicole would be asked if she had ever expressed that she wanted his children out of the way or that they were a problem or that she wanted his wife out of the way and she said that she had not ever said anything like that to him. She was honest with investigators, though, and said that she did want to have a family of her own, but she said that she had never expressed any problem to Chris with his family. The bodies of Shannon, Bella, and Celeste would be recovered on August 16th in the exact place that Chris said that they were. The girls' bodies were found in crude oil storage tanks after being pushed through a hatch at the top of two separate tanks. The lid was only 8 inches in diameter and their bodies had been damaged further in the process of pushing them into the tanks. Shannon's body was found in a shallow grave dug in the ground. On August 21st, one week after being on television and pleading for the return of his family, Chris Watts would be charged with three counts of first-degree murder. Two additional first-degree charges for the victims being under the age of 12, and another count for the unlawful termination of a pregnancy. He was also charged with three counts of tampering with a body, making for a total of nine charges against him. At this point, Chris was still holding strong to the fact that he had only killed Shannon and that she had killed their children. Investigators asked Chris if he was okay with the media spreading the news that she had murdered two children, and he told them that he was okay with that. Investigators, obviously, as seen by the charges, did not believe that Chris was telling the truth. They told him that they believed that he had found a new life and a new woman, and he just wanted to get his entire family out of the way so that he could start over. The town, as you would expect, was shaken to the core by all of the news and the true crime community and watchers started to grab onto everything and everyone that they could in this case. People started to look at the ample amount of videos and photos that Shannon had on her social medias, and they started to make their own determinations. People started to say that they wondered if Shannon had ever even wanted children. They said that she was controlling and that she liked everything done in a certain way. These were things that she had even said herself on some of her videos. That sentiment started to grow more and more, and people started to say that they felt like if anyone in the family was a sociopath and capable of snapping, it was Shannon. Public sentiment seemed to switch, and people even started to back Chris and say that they could understand his actions. Believing that Shannon had killed her daughters, people said, was something that they could do, and as such, who could blame Chris for killing her in response when he found his daughters strangled to death? People in the public started to run down Shannon and even her family, and even threatened to attack them and attack them online. The growing sentiment was that Chris should not go to jail for what he did. Once again, proving that people really need to learn to stay in their lane. 
The way that people act online sometimes is absolutely disgusting. Proving that people were asshats along with Chris Watts in this story started to become more clear about three months after the murders. On November 6th of 2018, Chris Watts would appear in court and plead guilty to all nine of the criminal charges against him. His plea was part of a plea deal that would ensure that he was not going to receive the death penalty. Shannon's family would back that move. Perhaps Shannon's father put it best when he said that Chris had chosen to end the lives of three members of their family, and they did not want any part in choosing to end another life. On November 19th, Chris would be sentenced to life in prison, and Judge Marcelo Kopkow would say that the murders were perhaps the most inhumane and vicious crimes that he had ever handled through the thousands of cases that he had presided over. He issued five life sentences without the possibility of parole, including 48 years for the unlawful termination of Shannon's pregnancy and 36 years for disposing of the bodies of his family. On December 3rd, Chris would be transferred from the area. He was sent to Dodge Correctional Facility in Waupon, Wisconsin because of safety concerns for him, because of his story being so widely known in the area. And then, it finally happened. The truth would finally come out. In a five-hour interview that was conducted in prison, Chris would lay out everything that happened at the end of the lives of the rest of his family. He said that Shannon had got home around 2 a.m., and he felt like she knew that he was cheating based on the argument about the restaurant bill. He felt her get into bed, and then the two of them had sex. He said that when he woke up in the morning, though, he felt guilty about the cheating and the lying and everything. He told her that their relationship was not going to work anymore. The two would get into an argument as he told her about Nicole and told her that meeting someone else had showed him that their relationship did not work any longer. He then strangled Shannon to death and wrapped her in a sheet. He would then put her body in the truck and proceed to wake up both of his daughters and seat them in the back of his truck with their mother's body wrapped in the sheet. The girls would even ask if Shannon was going to be okay, and he told them that she would be. He then drove out to the work site and would smother both of his daughters to death. He even admitted that Bella had asked him if he was going to do the same thing to her that he had done to Celeste. Researching this case and listening to the parts of this interview that I did made me absolutely sick to my stomach. Like I said off the top, this is the kind of story that makes you sick regardless of how much true crime that you follow and research. If you watch the videos that this family made and you see these two girls calling Chris their hero, you cannot imagine the type of monster that it would take to take the life out of those young girls. If you listen to Shannon talk about how lucky she is to have a man like Chris who accepts her as she is, you cannot imagine how a man could take the life of his wife like this. 
I've used the word asshat on this podcast a lot to describe some of the killers that I have covered, but asshat is not even close to a strong enough word to describe Christopher Watts. This is the most disgusting kind of monster that I think you can ever come across. A man that is willing to take the lives of three innocent family members is the most disgusting type of human being that walks the face of this earth, if you ask me. After he killed his family, Chris would get into contact with three places. One was to his daughter's school to say that they were being unenrolled. One was to a realtor to talk about selling the house, and then he texted Nicole to talk about their future. This man figured that he had concocted the perfect plan, and he somehow believed that he was going to start an entirely new life. He discarded the lives and bodies of three people that he apparently had once loved like they were garbage, and he was ready to move on with his life, just like that. Right to the very end, he tried to cast shade onto Shannon to save face for himself, and he tried to tarnish her reputation after he had already taken her life. I cannot think of a single story that turns my stomach more. I don't know how to transition out of this case to happier things, so I will just take the time to thank you for listening to Gone But Never Forgotten again for another week. And as always, I just make the appeal to all of you to give us a like, a follow, a review, and whatever support that you can so that we can keep growing here and keep growing our audience of goners to keep this thing going. The more, the merrier. Now, do what I'm going to do and get outside. Enjoy the world around you and give some love and affection to your loved ones because we should all be happy for every day that we get and every breath that we take. Be happy, be healthy, and most of all, be better.